So today I have Brandon Darton and Andy Culp here with us for part of this podcast that we're running right now with Workbench SC. So just to start off, thank you guys for listening and tuning in. And I'm going to start it off with Andy to talk a little bit about their company that they uh, are working with right now. Awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Um, Thanks for having us. So uh, the name of our company is Heli. We are a travel uh, marketplace and software business. Um, but the business started in 2016, you know, uh, basically out of passion um, for, for the space, uh, as well as uh, after we had identified a, a clear issue and problem uh, that we felt positioned to be able to solve. So the quick story is uh, I had been working uh, prior to Heli at CMH Heli Skiing, which is the biggest heli skiing operator in the world. Um, and I was a salesperson for them in New York City, and I had a tremendous amount of success over in the market. Uh, but I found that the sales process and the transaction process it was just totally archaic. Uh, nothing was online, everything was totally analog. Uh, and it, it just didn't make sense in a world where uh, Airbnb and e commerce and, and what have you was just uh, commonplace. Um, and so further, you know, I, I was handcuffed only working for one operator and it it was, uh, just a clear opportunity to build a marketplace, uh, because there was no centralized price discovery platform or, or booking platform for customers. Uh, and then the other side operators, uh, were tremendously archaic with their operating software and infrastructure. So, um, the long story short is we built a, uh, very simplified, uh, one-stop shop for operators or sellers to list and manage all of their inventory for customers to book on our marketplace. And then a suite of tools um, to manage day-to-day inventory, calendar, team, guest forms, uh, online payments, invoicing, CRM, things like that. Um, so on one side, if you just for making it easy, you've got an Airbnb type marketplace where uh, customers can now book heli skiing uh but also now we've expanded over the years into many different categories kite surfing scuba diving safaris uh fly fishing um mountain biking and much much more uh and then on the other side you've got sort of a shopify which is a management software for uh these operators or sellers to manage all their all their stuff so that's the medium length uh, description of what we do but if you have any questions or think that it could be more clear for your audience please dig into it so i think that's a great opening um there are a few questions to dive deep into how you guys continue to grow and different stages before we do get into that um i'd love to hear before heli for either you and then brandon um just a little bit about more of the background of yourself and Sure, sure. Uh, I'm 34 years old right now. Um, I was born uh, just outside New York City uh, in Terrytown, New York, um, to a big ski family. Um, so we, uh, my family had a house up in Stratton. And my parents uh, racers and my aunt and uncle were racers, and I kind of grew up in that world. Uh, but spent most of my life in Connecticut in Darien. Graduated from Darien High School in 2003. Um, you know, was always a hockey player, lacrosse player and recreational skier. Went to Colgate University, um, where I studied economics and math. Uh, graduated in 2007. Um, 
was gearing up to do the whole Wall Street investment banking sales and trading thing. I did the internship between junior and senior year. You know, I was definitely feeling the the the, the pressure um, that one may feel uh, to do that coming from the Northeast, going to a school like Colgate, where you know people seem to be on that track. Um, maybe it's the same for USC, or I'm not sure, but. Um, so I was going down that path and graduated 2007 and I was doing another internship uh, with the banking group in Greenwich. Uh, and that was uh, a mortgage securitization business. Um, and that was the front row seat into the, the subprime uh, mortgage crisis uh, of 2007 that started in 2007, um, which obviously crippled uh, the economy. Uh, it was devastating for the financial services sector. And I'm there as a 21 year old kid, just graduated college. Like, all right, so am I going to get a job here? And they were like, um, no, we're all probably going to get fired. So um, <laughs> you should probably think about doing something else. So I was like, sick. So I moved to uh, Vail, Colorado, uh, which is always kind of in the back of my, uh, my mind uh, throughout college. is something that I would love to just go out and ski. So I was like, let's just do it. So that was really critical for um, – you know, I'd say the, solidifying the ski branding and eventually coming into uh, the foundation for Heli. But uh, I spent two years out there uh, before I wanted to make some money, get some real experiences. I, and I went back to New York uh, and I started trading uh, at a big investment bank in the Emerging Markets Program on the Emerging Markets uh, Latin America desk. So I did that for four years uh, at the bank. And then I did another year at a brokerage shop uh, before I finally decided I needed to. Uh, do something more entrepreneurial, but the beauty of it, you know, I did love uh, taking risk in the market uh, and I was making a, you know, a decent amount of money for a 24 year old kid. And I spent all my, my money on ski trips, um, going heli skiing, uh, in North America, South America. Uh, I was always the guy that all my friends look to, to, to put together trips, all the people, you know, clients or brokers in the market are always trying to go skiing with me. So I started to cultivate this, this network of people that looked at me as a as a skier and someone that was an expert in the space so fast forward now 2012 i'm getting out of the market i need to just you know work for myself or do something more creative i couldn't stand the the corporate bureaucracy uh of wall street and a big bank or brokerage at the time so i said let's go let's do it um and i just started i left but uh at that time it was serendipitous i got recruited by cmh which was um probably the most important piece to kind of bridging the gap between this kind of personal passion that I had, this branding that I had, um, and kind of a stepping stone to, to really getting into an industry that I didn't even think about, uh, you know, as, as, as building a career in, but, uh, presented an amazing opportunity with an amazing brand and obviously heli skiing. I don't know if you're, you're obviously a skier, Aaron, but for any of you, the folks listening, uh, if you're a skier, uh, heli skiing is, a, is definitely, in my opinion, the best, type of skiing you can do and it's highly addictive um so for me to be able to work for a company that you know basically invented that sport essentially that was the the, the kind of foundation um you know i will say that prior to starting heli you know i had done everything under the sun to make money to try to survive and hustle you know cmh wasn't paying my bills full you know full time it was just a great way to make some money and, and go heli skiing but i ended up you know, working as a freelance 
you know, social media and marketing guy, building websites, doing, you know, Instagrams, running email campaigns, uh, all that jazz got linked up with compass, which is amazing growth story. So, um, I got recruited by a sales team there to kind of run all their marketing. And then, uh, the company blew up in front of me while I was just hanging out working with this team. And then I got invited to be an agent. So I became an agent selling real estate. Um, so I guess to sum it up, because I, I can't keep going on before I pass it off to Brandon, but I'm a hustler. Uh, I like to ski, I like to strat. I'm a risk taker. That's it. You can get into it later. Brandon, take it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, um, I, I guess a quick bit of backstory, Aaron, to, to start things off. Similar Andy, I grew up skiing uh, from a very young age, as well as a lot of other outdoor sports. I grew up in Michigan. I ended up going to Michigan State for college, where I played on the basketball team for two years. So I have a lot of right basketball or athletic analogies that I'll use as pertains to business, um, because I actually think that I learned more from basketball in college as it relates to business than I did from the classroom. Um, you know, similar to all the different programs you guys have it at USC outside the classroom. I think, you know, I would encourage everybody to do those because I think you're going to learn more there a lot of times than even in class. Um, again, a little bit similar to Andy, tried to take the corporate route right after college. Uh, didn't even last as long as Sam. I think I lasted six weeks uh, before I, before I moved to Aspen. Um, Colorado has a special place in my heart. Uh, like I said, I skied a lot growing up, got really into it once I moved to Colorado and then similar to Andy again did you know pretty much everything under the sun for a number of years with varying degrees of success and also a lot of failures which I think you know I was able to learn from and some uh, if not all of the successful things that I've been able to bring to the table at Heli were based on past failures that I've learned from uh, so we can talk about that a little bit later as well but I've been involved with Heli as Andy said from 2016 uh, it's really started to accelerate here in the last call it 18 months and super excited about the direction we're heading. Uh, I think the team is very solid as well as just some market forces are kind of aligning as well, which we can talk about as I know you want to get into more stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now. Um, so one other thing, and then we will get back to Heli, um, for as long as I've known you, Brandon, um, I think it's fair to call you a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> you have started many different companies and I think through which, as you said, through the failures and through the excesses, you've learned a ton. You've definitely shown that to me, whether whatever company I'm starting or working with, when I've spoken to you, you've always given some great advice. So if you could just talk a little bit about the different ventures that you've started and just some of the big takeaways that you've learned from that to share to some students right now who may be going through the same thing. Yeah, for sure. I think I've, I've always had a ton of ideas from the time that I was very, from the time I was really young, like you want to say like lemonade stand or whatever. Uh, my dad was a contractor, built houses. So when I was in, when I was in high school, I think the very first business I ever tried to start was I made, I made uh, like tables and furniture when I was in, when I was in high school and would sell them at the, like to my dad's clients who were, who were building houses. Um, but again, that was like a high school kid building picnic tables that were pretty rickety <laughs> at the time. <laughs> uh, and progressed all the way. I've done a number of 
uh, I started an advertising business in Aspen on its first year, which then turned into a ski pool company. And then one thing that I worked a long time on was, was actually a co- similar companies to that we're partnered, partnered with now, uh, but was looking at doing water sports, uh, wakeboarding, things like wakeboarding and surfing as a business, uh, similar to like the Kelly Slater wave pool way before it was a thing. Uh, and again, due to a number of different failures, wasn't able to get that off the ground, but I think has, you know, served me well in the process. And I guess what I would say to, you know, anyone starting out or coming up is that it's better to be, I think it's better to try things because even if it seems like a failure in the time being, like for instance, the water park that I was trying to start, I put a you know, almost three years of my of time into it, a lot of money, a lot of, you know, late nights and early mornings. Um, and at the end of the day, if, when it, when it failed, I think I was very discouraged and it wasn't until, you know, a year or two later that all of a sudden I'm seeing like all of these things are now that have so much value to me now. So I think short-term setbacks, um, you know, are just something to keep in perspective. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world and there's a lot of things coming down the pipeline where, you know, all you can do is learn from each experience and the outcome is in many ways secondary. Yeah. So to ask a very difficult question here, anytime that I've worked on a business or when I've spoken to different founders, their company is their baby. You know, they're, everyone's so passionate about it. And I think even though you're coming through hurdles, I think part of being an entrepreneur, you're determined to keep going. And I think where you are right now is such a perfect place because I mean, Heli is amazing. You guys have really built an incredible company there and you would have never made it to Heli if you didn't leave the water skiing park when you decided that that was the time. So if you could just touch a little bit on what kind of mentality or what kind of thought process you had to go through to say, you know what, I'm going to stop with what I'm working on now and move on to something else. Because I think it's a very tricky path without burying yourself in too big of a hole. And I know it's a, it's a whole. Yeah, no, I'll take, I'll take that quick and then I'll pass it to Andy. I think that it's a, it's a great question. And I think there's a fine line between kind of knowing when to pull the plug um, and having that perseverance to, to stay focused on a singular sort of idea or singular sort of event. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't have an answer for you right off, right off the top of my head as to if there's a, you know, a a certain make or break point. I do think that probably one thing for me is that it's nice to be able to see progress moving forward. And as long as you're at the point where like you can see things progressing and you're continuing to move in the direction you want, then it's, that's the feedback you need to keep going. Um, and I also think it, it depends too on how much it, you know, how much it really means to you, because I can say with, you know, in my life, like with basketball and sports at the time, it meant everything to me. And I was willing to sacrifice a lot more to get to where I needed to be. Um, whereas some of the businesses I've done that have failed, like the ski pool business, for instance, I liked it and it was fun, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't keeping me up at night or it wasn't getting me ultra excited. So it wasn't that hard to you know, admit to myself that, all right, I've learned a lot here and it's time to move on and apply that to other areas. But I'll let Andy take that as well. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a great question. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I have 
a few thoughts on that. Um, so <clears throat> the first thing is, yes, Heli is my baby, but I've learned, and I, after this point, I'll talk about more about it, but I'm not, my business and I are two different things. So, you know, whether my business succeeds, it, it, like it is, I don't, I have to separate myself from my business, right? Like I have to live my own life. The business has its own form. If the business does well, okay, that's great. And then I'll have some benefit for me. If it doesn't do well, okay, I'm going to move on with my life and I'll, I'll find something else to do. Like I can't let that dictate, you know, how I look at my life as a, as a first thing. And I've learned that through as like Brandon, I've started several companies before. Um, the first one was a, a macro hedge fund. Uh, because I'm super excited by scalable businesses and I can't think of a, a, a business just more elegantly beautiful than a hedge fund structure. Um, and that was a, a business that, you know, I, I started with a former manager of mine. Uh, we were a great trading team and we worked together at the bank and we decided to kind of move on and do this. Um, and that was a great learning experience because that was neither a clear failure um, nor clear success. It was just something that, okay, we were able to run the business, uh, for a few years, but we didn't achieve the scale that we wanted. And it would have almost been better for it to be a clear failure. Right. So there was a clear moment when I should have moved on. And I, I think if I look back, I probably, I probably carried that position for a year too long. Two years would have been appropriate. Three, which is what it ended up being was, was a bit long and I ended up kind of going through some personal <laughs> kind of trauma just going through that as a first-time founder is very very difficult but that was honestly the most critical experience that has now allowed heli i think to succeed um, and then as for the point at which when it's clear that you have to go all in on a business that to me is only market driven and that is market feedback that's not oh i'm ready because personally, like, I just want to be an entrepreneur now. So now it's my time. No, if you do that, you're just setting yourself up for, for failure. I think you have to be responding to a clear market need and you need to be, because it's a lot of risk to start a company. You need to have a lot of conviction in, in your ability to immediately gain traction. Um, and that's what I learned from that first business. And, and that's, you know, I think like Brandon and just the guys that we started the team and the business with, we've all, you know, had our failures. Um, and so we've all looked at the business very objectively since the beginning. Um, and honestly, when the business started, like I was mentally like, I'm never starting another business again. But because it, ha it started happening and we just started screwing around and the feedback from the market was clear, um, that's what gave us the conviction to take the risk again. Awesome. Thank you for that. So to bring it back to Heli now, I um, want to discuss one thing about Heli and then to finish it up at the end, we'll talk about the timing that we're in right now with the coronavirus and the changes that we can make. But specifically with Heli, um, you mentioned earlier that Heli now does kiteboarding. You guys go on a bunch of different adventures and it's all over the world, extreme sports. But in the beginning, what I remember was that it was just simply a heli skate company. And I know that 
companies that we work with at Workbench or other people at USC, when they start a company, they want to conquer the world. They want to do everything. But it's important to focus on one thing at a time. So what I want to ask you specifically was what kind of internal choices as a team did you guys need to, or when you guys came together and decided that it was the right time to expand into other markets? I think that as far as it being the right time to expand into other markets, it was really dictated by two things. The first would be the, the customers on the travel side, whereas a lot of people who enjoy sports like heli skiing or snowboarding also like things like surfing or fly fishing. And we had built a reputation for being able to send people to you know, the best ski resorts to where they then started to ask us uh, for recommendations on the summer side of things or other sports. So that was kind of just a natural progression for us. And then on the other side, on the, on the operator software side, we see that lodges who are conducting heli skiing operations usually have guides. They usually have a chef. They usually have lodge manager and a set number of a small number of rooms as opposed to, you know, like a giant hotel, so to speak. Uh, and it then became very evident that there exist these same types of operations just within different sports, right? So a surf lodge would have surf guides. They have all the gear there. They have uh, kitchen staff that they're coordinating. So the software that we built with heli skiing in mind actually was turned out to be a perfect fit for a number of other resorts, even though that wasn't necessarily the initial intention. Awesome. Thank you for that. And so then specifically, just a quick part, like part of the question for there, um, was it your initial intention to kind of get into all those markets or was it more on hearing the customer feedback and listening to, as you said, talking to the hotels and noticing that trend as you went along or was it something just at the yeah. start you kind of first? So great question. So I think this is very similar kind of to my answer to the last question. Like everything in a business, we, I feel, and I think Brandon and our team would largely agree that there's always kind of a response or an anticipation to a need, right? So the first response was, okay, we're going to now be an independent sales agency for heli skiing, right? Because we had the edge. Okay, I was at CMH. Now we're going to go big. We're going to, okay, we're going to work with everyone. For, for, fine. We just had a sales agency. Now that started working well. And we're like, okay, cool. Customers are probably want to start checking out online. So then from there, we had the traction with just booking as a sales agency, build the build the marketplace platform. Okay, great. So now the customers are all using the marketplace platform. And now the operators, okay, they're out telling us how bad the software they're using to manage their businesses. They're like, I think if we build it, they'll use ours. So, okay, we built it anticipating the need and it's now worked. Um, but as for your expansion uh, question, Yes, we looked at before we took any investor dollars, right? Because this was started as a as just a business that we started ourselves. We started making money profitable from day one, right? And that's when we decided to leverage up and try to build the tech because we knew that this is what could create scale. And so when we decided to go from just being a fun side business, and when you take investor capital, you need to be thinking about that in a very, very serious way. Like that's that's when you're trying you're a steward of someone's money. Um, and you need to deliver them returns. And if you don't, you're going to look like an asshole. Pardon my French. Is that okay if I, if I drop that? Um, so, you know, from there, we really had to analyze the opportunity and what this business was going to look like to really be attractive. 
Um, and so we knew we were going to start with heli skiing, uh, but we had uh, had the the demand already from our customers. Okay, what's the kite surfing like? Okay, so we knew that there were fundamental characteristics of the heli skiing market uh, that would be similar to uh, the surfing market, kite surfing, scuba diving market, fragmented markets, uh, poor operating software, management software, none, uh, no centralized booking platform. But that being said, when we started with the tech, we we took a clear beachhead strategy, right? So that's probably a, a token term that, you know, budding entrepreneurs should, should know about. But basically, uh, we decided to focus and, and build our tech and the model that we were going to scale out with just a focus on the heli skiing market, right? And focus on being total experts in there, dominating the market, figuring out what works, launching the tech. And from there, once we felt confident, then we could start scaling. And that's what we did. So first was heli skiing, then we added cat skiing and backcountry touring, and then some resort skiing, uh, and then kite surfing, uh, and then some, uh, sorry, some uh, surfing and fly fishing. And now we're really in a full full turbocharge expansion mode. Um, but to your point, I think you run a big risk if you try to be everything to everyone. It's better to be an expert in one thing and from there you can leverage it out or that's how we've we found success. It's a great answer. Thank you, Andy. So to move things on from Heli right now, obviously it's a very difficult time for all of us, for the world, um, and especially for a lot of startup companies right now, whether they're, I mean, I actually had a really interesting conversation last week with a professor of mine. And what she mentioned was that in the entrepreneur, in the startup world right now, VCs or whatever, they're not looking for unicorns. Unicorns are no longer going to exist for the next few years. To be the next big company or to really be out there, she's now she was describing it as cockroaches. So she was saying that in order for a company, you don't want to be a unicorn because that's too out there. You want to be the next cockroach because cockroaches can survive through storms. They can just sit there. It's nothing impressive, but they live to see another day. And in a search for companies, whether in VC or whatever, it's definitely an interesting approach. So to bring it back to you guys, just to take your perspective on the market right now, what do you guys think are some cultural changes that are really gonna come out of this? Do you see demand changing or just customer basis? Yeah, or, yeah that's a good question too. I'll, I'll, I'll say one thing on there. You go, you go ahead. First. I like I like the cockroach analogy. I think it's funny. Um, I will say that almost accidentally or by default, I think we ended up in a better position than most from the standpoint of our entire team was already remote um, and has been since day one. So we've never focused on you know the the flashy office space with the nap pods and unlimited beer on tap for everybody and that sort of stuff. So we didn't have a big office expense uh you know was really weighing us down or that we had to ditch so i do think when you say trends um you know i mean obviously a lot of people are working from home and i'm wondering if perhaps that continues in many places and a lot of these startups kind of tone back that like you said that unicorn flair of wanting to have you know the coolest toys in the office and 
be showing how much they're spending and maybe it transitions into a bit more of, you know, being more fiscally responsible with some of that investor money. I don't, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Andy? I have a lot. I mean, cause you, you added a lot there between the professor and that. So uh, the first point that I'll make, cause you said this is a difficult time for startups. You know, this is a difficult time for businesses mm-hmm. across all uh you know, uh, parts of the, the business life cycle, whether you're a startup or you're established fortune 500 company. Right. So, um, you know, within that, you know, at all sector stages, you know, the companies are suffering to varying degrees. Um, and kind of as Brandon pointed out, I, I feel that we feel very fortunate that we've been, we're quite lean. Um, the type of business that we have, uh, is, built around long-term bookings and future bookings. So um, we're able to um, weather any sort of short-term volatility. Um, but I think coming back to the cockroaches and unicorns thing, I mean, you know, I would say that there's no reason why another unicorn can emerge in this situation. If nothing else, it could create the exact opportunity for a new new business to come out there and, and create new solutions um, for, for different customer needs. Um, but of course, um, that could be a metamorphosis from a cockroach into a unicorn. Uh, and no matter what, there needs to be survivability. And that is the name of the game right now. So in terms of market trends, um, you know, people, we've seen businesses, I know friends that work at other companies and, you know, they've slashed 50% of their workforce or they've gone, you know, if, and fortunately we're, we're lucky because we're small, but if maybe we were two years down the road and we had a bigger team, um, it would actually be much more difficult for a, a bigger company that has such fixed high expenses, huge headcount, um, that it's quite hard to, um, get through a month or two without any revenue. Um, so for us, you know, Brandon said we're, we are remote, but we've also taken some action. We're not re- getting rid of any headcount. Um, but we have dr- dramatically turned down our, our performance marketing spend. Um, in terms of, how we see the market, we ha- see, and we can get into the impact, but how we are strategizing getting through this is our strategy for how we build a business. You have to flow with what the market and the environment and the externals uh, provide. Uh, and any attempt to fight that uh, or not respect the, the natural flow of the economy and customer cycles and consumer cycles um, would just be a disservice. So this is just yet another thing to flow with. Um, and frankly, you know, we can go into many different specific examples, but this is, this is just good for us. Um, it's hurting our competitors a lot more than it's hurting us. Uh, it's creating the type of, uh, sort of, uh, bandwidth vacuum where now we have the opportunity to reach out to all these different destinations around the world, uh, sign them up as new customers of our software. Um, you know, while people are kind of, uh, half speed, we're going full speed. Um, so we're really excited. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so to close it out here, um, as this will be streamed all over USC, hopefully, and we can get this into as many years as we can, what is some advice that you would give a college student at USC right now who is either just listening or working on a startup? Just an advice that you'd give, you know, just to... <laughs> To make it simple, what advice would you give a USC or college student right now who's working on starting a company? 
Go for it, Brando. <laughs> um, I mean, I like that quote where it says, success is never final and failure is never fatal. Um, it's just what I would say to really sort of focus on in the sense that whatever you start, it, it may be a success and that, and that's amazing. And if it is, you should continue to, to pursue that and continue to push it. But as we've now seen, it's never been more apparent than now. There are a lot of businesses that were great ideas that were doing really well that, you know, we're providing for a lot of people that unfortunately are, you know, are going to fail here in the next month to two months. And again, failure is never fatal. So it's like, will they rebuild? Will they start something new? Of course. And you have to learn, you know, you learn from every situation, whether it's a failed business as a, a teenager in high school or, you know, a failed billion dollar business in the sense that you see, you know, a lot of these quote unquote unicorns, you know, really taking a hit or some probably won't even be around in a little bit. Uh, but I think there's, there's always a silver lining, always something you can learn from and try and build and be better. And if you do experience any level of success, I think it also makes sense to continue to be humble. Um, you know, recognize that all the people who have helped you along the way and that success never really is final and that you still have to work hard every day and, you know, continue to learn regardless of if you're at the top or the bottom or somewhere in between. Awesome. Brandon, that's some great advice. Thank you, Brandon and Andy for taking the time and chatting with me today and sharing your journeys. And when I want to hear Andy's advice, jump in and give it. I want to yeah. give some advice. Honestly, Aaron, like, honestly, I feel like this is really we just scratched the surface here, man. Like, <laughs> I would probably keep it running because otherwise, I should go back and do this over and just be very short, succinct, succinct. I mean, if you want to keep going, we could keep going. <laughs> we, haven't even, we honestly haven't even addressed, you know, how COVID is impacting things, and we haven't. But let's let's start with let's no, start no, no. Let, let, let's keep it going. Let's start with the advice. <laughs> we'll, let's start with the advice, and we'll go back into it. Okay, so look, <laughs> like. You at the end of the, at the end of the day, if you're coming out of college right now, that's kind of how I'm framing this question. You know, I've, I've got I've had a lot of. I'm 34 years old now. I've been working on being an entrepreneur for seven, eight years now, um, and it's been uh, I've crawled through shit to get to where I am now, which is you know finally comfortable enough with no credit card debt and ability to like you know um, you know pay my rent on time. You know, so um, you have to be prepared to suffer. Um, and if you think that it's going to be easy, uh, you will be humbled very quickly. Um, and if you are not prepared to suffer, then I'm not sure that the being a founder or starting a business is for you. Um, that's the first thing. Second cash is King. Um, the first thing, you know, when, when someone comes to me, a young, younger guy or a gal comes to me, is like, I'm thinking about doing this. I want to quit my job and start this company. And I say, you keep your job and start the company on the side. Because cash is king. You need to have money. You can't just, oh, I'm going to just quit my job. And that's because that's what I did. I was the asshole. I was like, I'm going to start a company and I'm going to quit my job without having built the next company up to being in a position to pay me. So that's a clear, you can do so much around your job or during your job on your phone, whatever it takes to get the initial feedback as to whether or not your business is even worth a damn before you even quit any other job. So that would be my first advice is if I was coming out of college, I would get a job somewhere else, get some experience, get some money flowing, and then start figuring out what I wanted to work on. Um, or even if you had an idea right now, go get a job and continue to work on it. You have someone paying your bills while you're working on your business. Um, 
and yeah, I think, uh, those are the two key ones. Um, and the last thing is passion. Like, you know, the reason that Heli for me, I've been able to, to work through that and suffer because I'm, we are so passionate about this. Um, if you're trying to just start a business cause you think you can, you know, exploit and, and make a quick buck, good for you. And I know people do it, but I don't think I could do it. Um, you got to give everything to the brand and to the team, to the business to try to, to make it grow. And if you are not 3000% behind it, it's not going anywhere. Those are some of my thoughts. Now, let me talk about COVID, Mr. Aaron. So what we're seeing right now uh, is a clear slowdown um, in travel activity. Um, so that is affecting our business. That being said, because we have some seasonality and we're focused on you know, a heavy amount of concentration in the winter, winter months, um, we are still booking for next year. So that's helpful. Um, and we are seeing from the customer base that people are starting to get restless. I don't know about you. I don't know about the classmates or the folks listening out there, but people are getting pretty sick of just sitting around and they're starting to really appreciate uh, life. Um, and they're like, when, I, when we get through Corona, you know, what do I want to do with my time? Um, and chances are it's something sweet. Uh, and so we sell sweet stuff. So we're, we're feeling pretty excited. Um, so, you know, we have to be positioned to, to weather the storm, whether that's two months, three months, six months. Uh, if we get into 12 months, 18 months, well, you know, that market didn't let us, despite the market telling us right now that it's been great. Uh, we're, we're not going to get through, I don't think, 18 months. So um, we, are, we are of the view that in the next three or six months, things should pick up. I think that's a great view right there. Um, and yeah, I actually would agree with that. I mean, it's definitely a good way to think about it. I think the market, there are a lot of people that are just sitting at home wanting to think about how to make the most out of their lives. And I mean, I've never been on a heli trip. I'm still waiting on organizing the dates with you guys, looking forward to that. But yeah, I think it's just very important to maximize all of that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, that does sound awesome. And I'm happy that your future view isn't as impacted as, yeah, I think that's a good view to take. Would it be fair if I asked a question that I'm curious about, kind of coming from your perspective and your generation? Like, yeah. what are what are, kid, what are kid juniors and seniors at USC, like, what is their thought process right now? What, what is their response to Corona? Or what are seniors that are graduating like next week? <laughs> what are they thinking? Like, um, or what industries are they interested in? Does everyone just want to be in tech now? You know, when I was graduating, everyone wanted to be a banker or a trader. You know, what, what do kids want to do? So I think it's a loaded question, but I think that right now there's just a real freeze because I think at least from the people that I've been speaking to on a weekly basis, you know, you go through your entire life with this set trajectory and you say, you know, you're in middle school, you're looking forward to high school and in high school, you have to do well to get into college and in high, in college, you're doing well to figure out a job. And now the world just froze. So I think the scary part is you know, I'm a junior right now, and a lot of people are worried about their junior year internships, you know, coming from someone who you, you went yeah. to have for investment banking. That's one of your most important yeah. when you're in college because you're setting up a job. But I think that there's so many people right now that I've spoken to that are just really in shock 
And I think what's important is to know that you mean, you know, you can't just like, even though the world stops, you can't just freeze and sit back. I think when the world does freeze, it makes a lot of room for tons of potential of continuing to grow and trying to spot new trends. Cause I think the trends are really changing. So to get back to your question specifically with what industries are people interested in? I mean, at USC, there's a, there's interest in investment banking, um, a huge, huge crowd around entrepreneurship. There's a real push to start your own company and to go that path. Um, so let me, so entrepreneurship, you know, distinguishing that separately from startups, right? So entrepreneurship, basically kids coming out of college that want to start a company and run a business. Yes. Got it. I mean, I'll just put this on record. I think that the majority of that is just, going to end in tears. Um, and that's fine. And that's good. But uh, I think the ultimate key to success is experience and expertise. And, you know, especially in the business world, where you're talking about money and uh, transactions versus, you know, papers and grades. Um, it helps to have some, uh, some experience. That being said, you know, every entrepreneur should go for it. So yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point. But you know, I mean, you're right by saying uh, experience is everything. I do have a lot to learn at my age, and I think that's great advice to students right now. Look, I mean, it's also, I think it's also that as long as you can find, I mean, there's a lot of podcasts out there and everything on mentorship, but never is that more important than if you're a young person starting a business without that experience from learning from your coworkers and other things. So, like, especially with the whole COVID 19 coronavirus, I think you probably are going to see a lot more of your classmates thinking about starting their own businesses and getting into it. Um, and I don't think that inexperience is necessarily a horrible thing. If you seek out someone who you really trust, where you can continue to learn once you're out of college. But like Andy said, I think everyone's going to make a lot of their own mistakes. And some of those are going to be, some are going to end in tears. Some you learn from, uh, but I think finding that sort of mentor, whether it's through an existing business that you're working for or through an outside person that you trust, whether that's a parent or, you know, just a, a teacher or a professor or someone within the space, I think is really important to find. Yeah. Aaron, how is your experience this semester with all online classes compared to when you're actually on campus? Like certainly there's positives and negatives, but what's your sort of overall thought? So my overall thought is I think it really depends on the class that you're taking. You know, I take a marketing class, like I'm taking, I'll, I'll give about three examples. One is a marketing class that I'm taking. And in terms of that, I think I learned fairly well from the slides, from being on Zoom and hearing the teacher lecture. Not much has really changed from that. Now, another class that I'm taking is digital tools for design. So design 203. And in that class, I'm learning about InDesign, Photoshop, and Illustrator. And that one, I find it way more difficult over the phone because, you know, when I'm sitting in a classroom for three hours and if I'm having a problem, I raise my hand, my teacher comes over, he shows me on the computer, he gives a demonstration. It's way more interactive versus just sitting there watching a computer screen for three hours. Now, they're just different changes. Like I was fortunate enough that my teacher actually took an hour out of his day on Sunday, Easter Sunday, to help me with that. And it was just a one-on-one -on -one chat. 
So he was sharing my screen and he was teaching me all that. And I was incredibly fortunate that he had the time and he was willing to do that. But, you know, not all classes are the same. That's one class where there are 18 people. I have other classes with 80 people. So the teacher may not always have the time to do that. So I think it's a very difficult time for students because everyone does have a different learning style. You know, I'm dyslexic. Um, I'm very, I'm a very visual learner. So sitting there behind a computer and just listening makes it a little bit more difficult without the ability to interact with the teacher. Um, so that's my one take on it. And another class that I'm taking right now is golf, which obviously is <laughs> that's a hard one to take online. I, oh, I, 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 not set up. <laughs> I mean, I have the, this little putting range behind me, so I do that sometimes in the background of my class. But well, in the spirit of kind of this whole entrepreneur thing, kind of challenging kind of status quo and trying to pick up on trends, what do you think happens if this goes on for? another year and the kids that are now accepted for this uh, fall semester for next year and they can't go, what do you think all the parents are going to think? Like, do you think people are going to be stoked to like pay whatever people are paying per semester to have their kids learning from home or are people really starting to reassess what the higher education format and cost structure and everything looks like? Oh, I completely agree with that. Like, I think there's a huge opportunity there. Yeah. I think it's going to change dramatically. I mean, I think that that change is almost too large to see right now because, you know, I think it would take a huge hit. I really do. Um, there's so many people on financial aid where putting that amount of money and burying yourself in a hole for so long afterwards to get an online education at that point. Right. You could get an online education for free on YouTube. Right. Yeah. You can learn Photoshop and InDesign on YouTube for free, like if right. at that point, right? So unless yeah. you're gonna get that direct interaction with peers challenging you, you know, professors challenging you, total aspect, living on your own aspect. I mean, I'm I wouldn't pay sixty G's for my, you know, future son to go sit upstairs <laughs> and watch his professor. I you know. But I mean, I, I I do believe optimistically that school will return in the fall and. Right. Things will start coming back to normal. But I think that, you know, it's going to be a very slow walk back to our normal lives, if even ever. I don't know how much the world has really taken a hit. I think it's incredibly difficult to see right now because yeah, looking at the economy right now, is you can't really look at that as an accurate representation of where the world is at. Um, and where people really stand, because I, I, I really do think that what we perceived as normal before is not going to be what we're walking back out to. You know, I don't expect to see a restaurant at full capacity for another two years, but do I think I'll be able to go to a restaurant maybe by the end of summer? Hopefully. I mean, things are going really slow. I mean, I'm also in New York right now. So obviously it's much slower there. Um, but I, I, look, I think it's just an interesting time just to sit, watch and learn. And I don't know. I agree. So, yeah. I think it's an interesting, just way to observe human behavior, like adding that an extreme. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I kind of just, uh, my last thought on the, the education, the higher education thing. And I guess I'm biased because, you know, while I did have a private education for college, which I'm extremely grateful to have had, you know, I think the vast majority 
uh, sort of like Brandon said, the vast majority of my education has occurred outside the, the classroom, whether it's, uh, you know, through sports, travel, um, or whatever sort of personal um, conquests I've gone on outside of the academia have been valuable. So I guess the question is, is there a time and is it in our lifetimes or how, how long in the future before people stop um, paying what they're paying to go to college? And is there a different way? Like, I got to believe there is to get the same. If you're talking about just about information and, and knowledge, um, you know, call it at any, anything less than 250 K, right. There's gotta be a way to do something like that. And that's a huge opportunity. Well, I mean, I do have like a large, future view for that actually okay. you could share that quickly love to hear uh, just from my experience last summer working at a vc and i did an entire research project on um the vocational educational market and i think right now with the amount of content that is being pushed onto the youth it's really showing kids earlier i mean andy you and i in the beginning of this chat what you were saying was wow you, you know there was never like a workbench type thing at my school or kids were starting this as early as you guys are. And I think more often than any, like right now, people are starting younger and younger. So I do believe yeah. by the time people are going to college, they do have some type of idea of what they want to do. And when that's the case there, I do believe that whether it's with ISAs, income share agreements or whatever type of format of college, payment would be, but I do believe that the vocational educational market will increase in that for in that in our foreseeable future. Cause I mean like I'm sitting here, I mean not to bash on USC. I love USC and love my experience there. But I'm sitting in some classes that are just set as requirements. And I, personally I would rather be doing anything else than sitting there and just yeah. trying to just pass that class that I'm paying for and I mean, I'm so fortunate to be there. I'm, I mean, beyond appreciative that I am able to get that experience. But I almost wish that I could take more classes of just the ones that I want to. But that's not the structure that's set up in the country. So my view going forward is I think that there's going to be a real increase in vocational schools and a lot of more credibility will be granted to those. Because right now in a lot of industries or you grow up and you just got to get a diploma. Right. And I think that it's not just a diploma. It's because, I mean, I could come out and, you know, you could be an investment banker, but what you study? You were a history major. You're not learning. Right. Much in right. But if you take like a two, three year course on just finance and you know, that's what you want to do. I think you could definitely take something that route and, with the push of everything online, I think that's a path, but that's just my opinion. And I mean, that's just a thought, but yeah. I think it's honestly like the decision to go to college. I think it's sort of like, I think it kind of comes back to that evaluation of risk, like in whether or not it's, you know, like starting a business or building out the tech or going into a new vertical. It's like, is this going to maximize my objective? And really the objective, I think when we were kids, maybe me and Brandon, it's like, yeah, the objective is to get a diploma, like you just said. And now the question is like, I think people are starting to realize the objective is to just live a fulfilled, challenging and, and, and awesome life, 
right? Which is probably going to include some combination of making money and having friends and relationships. And of course, heli skiing, right? Right. And so now the question is, okay, do I need college to um, create those relationships, right? Where in a past world, like people didn't have social media or abilities to connect with people all over the world. So maybe, you know, that social experience of college that 50 years ago Kids are now, as you said, getting it when they're five years old on Instagram or whatever on TikTok. Like, so, and now to, to make money, like, do I need to go to college? Maybe I go to vocational school. Maybe I go to trade school, or maybe I just, you know, instead of taking that two hundred fifty grand, I'm going to use that to seed the business that, you know, after four years of being a history major, I'm going to go start a fintech company and is useless. So maybe I'm going to go do that. That's better risk. I don't know. That's how I would think about it. And I don't have kids, but I certainly. Don't I would think twice about forking out over quarter million dollars for the experience that I think I had. Um, it's just something to think. I think it's. I think we'll see. I personally believe we'll see a huge higher education revolution in our lifetime. I and I, it's some a sector that I would be interested in at some point potentially. Yeah, no, that's definitely really interesting, and yeah. I could definitely see that as well. Well, and that's actually, I would say, a very interesting sector for a kid coming out of college to actually be able to address effectively, because they are probably the most front row understanding of where the current dynamics are, what kids just below them really would want, seeing the direct things that aren't working right now. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm happy I didn't cut you guys off earlier, and that's why I love these fireside chat style podcasts. Come on. <laughs> I don't know where it's going, but uh, I guess this is time right now. But thank you guys so much for your time today. Um, great conversation. Loved hearing the story about Heli and all the different twists that we went on and really just talking about how the world is handling this right now. So Brandon, Andy, thank you guys so much. Hope you guys are staying safe and Thanks yeah, man. And just no please let, let all the folks know that if they ever want to talk more, they can reach out to Brandon and me anytime. We're happy to share our stories and um, make time for, for young entrepreneurs. Um, it's important to have some support. Yeah. Thank you guys again. That's sure. a generous offer. And for I sure, can, man. They can find you on heli.life. Is that right? Or Heli.life. Uh, yeah, they could just come and chat for us. Ask for Andy or Brandon. All right. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I guess if they ever want to, you know, after this is done, go heli skiing or anything, they can look to you guys. <laughs> yeah, let's wait till the travel ban is lifted. Yeah. Yeah. We, better, we better get a job first and start making some money. <laughs> then we can talk. <laughs>